Welcome to the Contino Podcast, the place for conversations about digital transformation. In this episode, Rosh Plaha, Account Principal at Contino, talks to one of our principal consultants, Ethan Sumner, about FinOps. What is it? What does it mean for enterprises? And why is now the right time for organizations to start looking at better ways to track, manage, and predict cloud spend while maximizing cloud value? We hope this conversation gives you food for thought. And of course, if you'd like to talk more about FinOps or digital transformation, get in touch. Email hello at contino.io. Hey, Ethan. So hey, FinOps yes. is a topic I'm hearing a lot about, especially in the last six months, I'd say. Yeah. What does it mean to you, FinOps, when we're talking around the customers that we're working with? I think for me, FinOps is all about driving that accountability and, and utilizing that to further business sort of value and spend. Um, I think the, the core value to me is looking at how do you actually approach cloud and how you operate and how that links to actually billing as well. You know, making sure who's accountable, who's got decisions over, you know, uh, ability to spend, et cetera, or deploy units. I would say it's also about including more finance and procurement. I think as engineers, we're very much siloed, but in reality, it is needed particularly with the current spend, et cetera. I guess one thing that our clients often talk about with FinOps is continue to come and talk to us about it because yeah. I want to just lower my cloud spend. Now, that isn't really the case of FinOps. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the, the, uh, the initial attractiveness of FinOps is that cloud saving. I think a lot of people are later in the journey, let's say they've committed for five years, et cetera. They've either overspent or the budget's coming to a close and they're becoming a bit more reactive. They're like, let's just save as much money as possible and then focus around it later. But actually to do FinOps from a long-term success standpoint, you need to put in those key, um, you know, fundamentals and go through, you know, the FinOps Foundation have an excellent, um, I, I call it the bit of the, the donut, really. It's like three different stages which you can assess your maturity level and processes to go around. We talked about what, what FinOps means to you. And we also said that FinOps isn't just about lowering your cloud spend, although that is a benefit that our customers can get. What are the other benefits of FinOps for a large organization? And why should they be taking it more seriously now? Not just from, I want to lower my cloud bill from X to Y. I mean, every organization does internal cost control different, right? It may go up to a CTO who may report it to the CFO. It may go down that. You may have a manager who will send a monthly UAD best bill to procurement and they don't understand it, et cetera. The, the key three areas to me is that visibility, um, accountability, and also, you know, understanding more of how the cloud operates from a financial standpoint to people like procurement and finance. Do you mind if we talk around some pain points and some real horror stories? Because I know you've got a few around FinOps in organizations and where it's either been done badly or where they haven't had anything in place and things have just spiraled out of control. I think you've got a good example. We'll keep it anonymous. We don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Um, but yeah, what's what's been a really kind of eye-opener for you when you when you were getting into FinOps and some pain points that you've seen? I think, you know, speaking to some of our customers, one of the, um, you know, one example we've had is that um, a developer spent a quarter of a million pounds over a weekend, right? There was no financial guardrails, controls, et cetera. And they just went and did it. And luckily, you know, they have visibility in place. And, you know, from that incident, they, they came to us and we started discussing FinOps with them. Um, but I've seen it, you know, where, for example, developer, 
has spun up, you know, 40 grand, 50,000 pounds worth of work. And then it's got to finance three months later and they've gone, well, that's a bit of an anomaly. Or finance just see the overall bill and don't see that as an issue. It's happened to me personally. Um, I was doing an Azure project. I accidentally left some things on, spent 300 pounds over the weekends and I didn't have any visibility in case just a a quick account I spun up. Um, Stupidly, you know, should have put it in place. Saw the bill a month or two later and I'm like, damn it. So it, it happens to everybody. I think a lot of people have personal FinOps pains and then also seeing it in the organization as well. Yeah, those, that 40, was it 40,000 you said for that 40, year? 50, I've, I've seen quite a few 40, 50,000s over my time. I think the, yeah, other than the quarter of a million pounds one, I think I've seen a couple of six-figure ones as well. Right, yeah. I guess it's tricky because as a developer, you want to be empowered to make changes, deploy changes and, and test your code but you don't want to be given a 40, 50,000 pound bill at the same time. So there's ways that organizations can help. There's a FinOps Foundation are doing a really good job in helping set out, as you said, three kind of iterative processes that you can go through. For someone who's fairly new to the cloud or has just joined a new organization, what are the things they should be doing so they don't get these kind of scary bills? I would say be more proactive, not so much reactive. I think t- traditionally in IT, like this is the reason why we have SRE, you know, we have operations teams, et cetera, is that we have that reactive approach. And actually one that I read the SRE handbook by Google and what how I really like how they do SRE is that 50% of the time is focusing on proactive and 50% is more the reactive. I think from a FinOps standpoint, it's having those operational guardrails in place, you know, and just having a conversation talking, like, have you got a tagging strategy as a team? You know, I've, have you got a monthly FinOps forum or are you discussing, for example, on a, you know, on a Friday uh, in your scrum meeting, what is your annual spend this week? Have you got any tools or visibility or monitoring in place? Having budgets and the ability to sort of, if you do see an anomaly, let's say, for example, you spend a thousand pounds a week yeah. and you spent a thousand pounds a week for the past year and one week, you know, you, you know, you're going to put a bit of development. So you're going to see it's going to spike to 1250, but you spend 1500. Yeah. So you should have an anomaly in place. So that's a manual, um, you know, someone checking it every day, or that's more of an automated process. You should be able to see and react to that anomaly and yeah. put it in place. Because going back to those 50, 100 or, you know, quarter of a million pound anomaly spends, if they have the visibility, whether that's automated monitoring in the first place, those bills will probably be a tenth of what they are. And, you know, 25, 25 grand is, although hard to swallow, much easier to swallow than a quarter of a million. So. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm going to keep going back to this point of that poor person who spent forty to 50,000 because yeah. that's quite hard for them to deal with. But I guess the point I'd like to kind of go into here is whose responsibility is it for flagging that spend? And I guess I'm teeing you up for this this answer here. It's more... If a developer spends that by leaving on an EKS cluster or doing some Spark job on the cloud, who should be accountable for that? It's a tough one because as a developer, traditionally, we're not metrified on like spend. All our higher ups care about really is case of are we developing features fast? Are we pushing things out? And as a developer, if you're you've now got the the control. Um, you know, you're not putting in request operations to put a VM on a Dell server that you've got your data center. You can go into the cloud and spend it. So in my opinion, you should be accountable for that spend. I think developers often don't care. And there's actually projects in Finance Foundation, how they get, how they're trying to gamify this, et cetera. But to me, if, you, if you're spending, you should be accountable. But if it goes wrong, 
I think unless most organizations have that blameless culture, which we should you know, be looking at in IT because everybody will make a mistake at some point, whether it's dropping a production database or spending 50 grand. But I think it's in your reporting line. Is it is it your manager who's then responsible for the overall team? Is it the FinOps team who are responsible from a training standpoint to reduce it? I mean, it is inevitable that you likely will go over or have an anomaly spend at some stage. You know, one very early in career example I had is that I had an SQS pipeline, which would send an email um, for an application that I built. Um, I didn't put any um, guardrails in the SQS pipeline. It built up to 8 million emails. And that was sort of the first example, which I saw before I even knew what FinOps was, of an anomaly spend. We were a small organization. I think the bill was like 800, 900 pounds. One average month bill was like two, 300. And I remember it's like, that's that was a huge deal to us as an SME. So I think every level that you're at, it's just having that visibility and training should prevent that. I guess, Ethan, I, I should let you know, I've never dropped a database, production never database, dropped. never done it, mate. Oh, you've, um, you've got to do at least, some, well, at least one stage I've done a career. denial of service attack oh, right, on okay. a GitHub repository before. That was quite bad. But cost-wise, I've been fairly, fairly okay. And yeah, never taken down a prod database that I'm aware of, which is good. But going back to, hopefully I never make this mistake. And if you're with me then I shouldn't make that mistake but going back to it's not just the developer who's accountable for this they need to have certain ownership of this but what role do IT procurement other stakeholders play in FinOps? I think traditionally procurement's job has always stopped when the the item is delivered right you know 20 years ago for example it would be a case of I need to request a thousand Dell servers and the list price is a million pounds. Procurement would then go to Dell and negotiate, right, okay, we're going to place a thousand servers. They might get, you know, 10, 20% discount or whatever, depending on their overall spend. If they would then oversee the case of how that's delivered and then it would go to someone in data center, rack and stack it, et cetera. And their job traditionally finishes there. And that might be for a lot of organizations if they're dealing with IT procurement you know, of once every three years, once every four, you might have a bit of a refresh, more servers, more specialized stuff, but that's traditionally it, right? And if procurement is approving every single cloud spend, if you think about it, you spin up, you know, an Azure app service, et cetera. There's multiple supporting services that you can select or add in on that. So from a billing perspective, it might be, you know, one pound to app service, one pound to database, one pound to, you know, domains, et cetera. So it's an itemized spend and you could spin up, let's say 10, 10 a day for argument's sake. And let's say you do that 20 days out of the month. That's a lot of things to manually approve. And it would also hurtle innovation. So of course, procurement isn't going to individually procure an EC2 instance, procure it because, you know, a cloud transformation would take 100 years. But now they're being more involved in a sense of that they're looking it, like procurement and finance are very traditional industries, right? You know, you've got the ACCA certification, et cetera, which I believe it is. Um, you know, they're trained to a certain standard and they're used to dealing with more traditional industries. Obviously, the cloud these qualifications and further training haven't come into place. So, and to be fair to the vendors like AWS and Azure and Google, from what I've seen, they're not putting out specialist trains procurement. Like they have conversations if you're spending, you know, committing to hundreds, 200 million, et cetera, or maybe even smaller if you, if you, I'm sure you politely ask for it. Um, but without that training, they don't know, they don't know how to understand an itemized cloud bill. And this is why the Finance Foundation working on a project called Focus, where it's all about open billing. And I'm really impressed that, you know, Azure, Ada, Best and Google and a few of the cloud vendors have got together to create the standard. 
Um, it's something which Contino are trying to get involved with as well. Try to help it from a um, you know, vendor standpoint, you know, putting in feedback, et cetera. But without that training, they just won't be able to understand it and it won't be a success. Like you may commit to 100 million um, over four years. And let's say you spent 40 million the first year and then your cloud bill is still 40 million. Like, do you over procure? Do you under procure? They won't be used to signing these massive deals, et cetera. Um, you know, for a, a variable kind of spend. I think one one reason why actually how we differ at Contino is we look at the on-premises landscape and spend as well. Like our, our expertise, is, you know, is in on-premises to cloud migrations, but we can also look at it from a cost and business value perspective. Actually, is it worth you moving to the cloud? And when you do, let's say you've got you know, a thousand VMs in your data center, we can help right size and do pre-FinOps work in the data center. And let's say we get that down 700, you're then spending less because you're not over-committing. I have seen numerous organizations who've committed to a large bill with a cloud vendor, and then it's essentially dead money if you don't spend it because you know they'll put in additional things. You might get an SA support or a, a technical account manager or a CSAM included, et cetera. So they just you know drastically try and overspend or do some crazy projects. That's the wrong way to look at it. And actually, from a finance and procurement standpoint, having the correct bill from the get-go, the correct amount you need to procure and budget for is much easier, in my opinion. So, but organizations don't look at that part. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll do the business value to the cloud, et cetera, and they'll say, say it's cheaper, but actually, do you need that part? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's quite key for me. I'm going to tell you another secret. So just before this recording, yep. I was on a call with procurement for one of our customers. All right. Okay. And... I've walked, I've walked away from that call realizing that procurement's view of cloud spend is very static. So what they asked me was, hey, Ross, you've given me what is gonna, what's going to be the cost of running my estate in three years' time on the cloud. But can you give me a view of years one to two of all the development costs, of all the sandbox environments that we spin out, as well as the consulting fees along the way? And I was like, I can't do it. Like I genuinely can't do it. We don't know what the architecture is going to look like. We don't know how many developer teams we're going to have on the ground. We just don't know how this is going to scale. What I can tell you is once we've optimized everything to a certain degree from year three onwards, this is roughly what your cost is going to be. But I can't say to you with confidence, this is a fixed number. So you're right to say that procurement needs education in this space because they do see the world as quite transactional going back to give me a rack like it's 2002 but that's a really big challenge i see for procurement so i guess my question is and i know you agree with that what other departments within it or beyond it also have that static view that you think need upskilling along the way oh it's a tough one i think it is pretty much solved now but i think operations traditionally were very like in like traditionally operations never thought about spend, right? You, it's a case of a developer building application. They already have that data center estate, et cetera. You don't need to procure every time. They have that static thousand servers. They're currently at capacity of 700. There's no need for them to, you know, they, they've got capacity. And then when they're running out of capacity, then they'll have a 12-month plan to upgrade or add additional servers or space, et cetera. So it, it's never been a foundational cost over the past 40 years, right, traditionally. Um, once you have that estate, you might as well use it. So operations now need to think about if they're scale, you've got the ability to scale up or down, you know, depending on demand. I was recently in AWS Meetup and a really good example of how an organization is doing it is they have a business value case, like looking at unit economics and the value, et cetera, is 
for them to scale up, will they actually make profit on that? Or is it worth worsening your customer experience, et cetera, um, you know, or delaying it a couple seconds, but they'll make you know, more profit margin? So looking at it that way, it's not just a case of it's on there. You know, you've actually got to think you can actually look at the cloud as like a further business value, you know, unit economics, et cetera, to further. Actually, is it worth putting up in place? Um, you know, is it worth being faster? Is it worth being multi-region? All that kind of thing. You touched on a few key words there, and I think it's important for the audience. We we address what they are, just in case people aren't sure, because there's quite a lot of buzzwords within FinOps, and there's a lot of buzzwords in our industry, right? Cloud economics. What does that mean to you? I would say that's more the traditional phase before FinOps. I think it, well, it's essentially just looking at the economics of the cloud. Is it viable? Is it cheaper than data centers? Like to me, if I, for example, was going to university and doing a degree, I would look at something like land economy because like how do you strategically put a data center, et cetera, the land that it's on, where it's located, and then how does that affect your end user price? Because what people don't realize is, is that when you buy an EC2 instance, uh, let's say, and it's two pounds an hour, right? In that cost, you will have, let's say, 50 pence for the data center upkeep, security, land, et cetera. 50 pence might be for electricity. Uh, another 50 pence might be for internal support, et cetera. And then you know, 25 pence will be for development and all that kind of thing. And then there'll be 25 pence profit. The margins are all scaled down. It's that economics of scale. It's why you can go out and buy a loaf of bread for a pound, right? You're not paying a baker who's doing just yours. It's built in a factory and it's all done. So I think that's one thing to look at it, is that when people think of um, your data centers, et cetera, yes, your data center might cost you, let's say, two and a half million pounds in capital expense and build out. You then pay Dell and your HP a million pounds for servers the last five years. You'll then fog them to a reseller who's going to put them on eBay and probably get 10 grand for them at the end of it. And looking at your overall spend, yes, you're two and a half million, you can constantly get back. What you don't realize is that you've got to pay the security guard. You've got to pay, you know, for things like security maintenance, et cetera. I mean, certain data centers have got things like anti-tank mines, right? Those kind of things cost a lot of money and maintenance. You've then got overall electricity bills, et cetera. So actually from a cloud standpoint and from finance and procurement, it's much easier to understand. Although the bills are quite complicated, they can just see server, right? There's no data center costs. And that's how actually... It's a bit ironic because I think it's always been in IT is that you have that centralized budget. There's no internal chargeback or showback for a data center. I spoke to very few customers and clients um, you know, across all the job and even working hands-on more as a practitioner is that with a data center, you don't manually, like let's say you've got 20 value streams in the business, your data center costs 10 million a year. I've seen very few organizations take half a million per business unit out. You have a central IT budget, which the CFO sets or the CEO or the board set, et cetera. And that has that cost. It's same with cloud. They're following a traditional model. It's a case of they have 10 million pounds for cloud, et cetera. It all goes into one central budget. But in reality, those 20 value streams, going back to that previous example, one might be spending 2 million, one might have just started their example and they're only spending 20K a year. And it's a bit unfair. I think now, um, you know, into those internal value streams are sort of gain levels, they're all at a similar kind of level. It's do they do that internal chargeback and showback? Um, and we, we've seen it with one customer recently is that they've started to now do that. They've now actually started to charge you know different business units, et cetera. And they've all gone up in arms. It's like, well, I didn't realize I've got to budget a million pounds. Or um, it's the same with sort of cloud transformations as well. It, it's, it's a bit of a unique one person. And to be clear there, what you're saying is if I am head of middle IT and I've got a team of 30 
and my cloud bill is 100k a month what you're saying is the wider business will charge me that 100k a month for running those services that might take away from my budget to hire new people in my team is that what you're getting to there I would say if you've got a lot of organizations have a centralized platform team, right? right? And then each business unit or product, et cetera, will then, you know, vendor subscription, build on top of it, et cetera. And that central platforming team will maintain it. And they'll traditionally do the costs as well. So if you've got, um, let's say that central platforming team, um, it all costs, et cetera, is 10 million a year. And traditionally the CEO, CFO has said, we're committing to client 30 million over three years. Here's 10 million to the platforming team. It's just one central stream budget. But if you've got 10 different business units and they're all consuming that platform, traditionally they're not paying the money to the platforming team, right? Because there's no internal charge. They're not going on internal billing platform and going, yes, I want that and some internal money changes hands. It's not happening. But then now organizations starting to realize and they are starting to do that and they're not prepared for it or they're not used to it. So there's a lot of, in my opinion, training and expertise that needs to go in around that area is how do you do internal you know, show back and charge back i was at a finox foundation meetup in london and i uh, can't remember who it was they had a brilliant example of they took um, a vm in the cloud and they were able to literally charge back each individual cost so they knew that like if it was operating 24 hours etc they knew the running costs they knew to bill it to that like if they had a very large server and they knew it was costing 50 pounds an hour they could tell each business unit who's consuming it's like a centralized security server etc they could go in and individually bill it almost to like the penny and then you know charge it back to internally i think that's to me the way forward but i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done do you think, do you think that's a healthy thing to do and the reason I asked that, it's if I can give that granularity of what teams are using cloud, it's a good thing to show chargebacks and usage per team. And it could show some potential inefficiencies of how they're using things and just their, their culture on using the cloud. But it could also hinder how innovative they could be on the cloud by yeah saying, you know, your bill last month was was a bit high compared to the other teams. Can you show me the value of what you've done? Um, and maybe it works both ways, but like, where's that balance for you? Well, I think it's going back to the early conversation of, to me, FinOps is not just saving the most money or being so efficient. To me, if you've been in the cloud, all your estate you know, that you want to move is in there. You've been growing for multiple years. You've got all the teams in place. That's when you can start what I call being a bit more tight right. and focusing on that individual granular level costs. To me, if you're still going through that journey, why would you do that? Because it does hurtle innovation. And there is a lot of, you know, as I was saying, there's a project going for Nuts Foundation around gamification. And I've seen some organizations, as a public example, the home office, for example, they use like, um, you know, like on energy metrics, when you're buying a fridge, it might be A star rating or B star rating, et cetera. And you do, you know, when you're buying that fridge, you will look and see, is that energy efficient? And they've basically mapped it and they have internal dashboards in the home office and say, which level of cloud spend are you in A or you B? And they compare it to different units. And while that's great, you know, making sure, you know, civil service, et cetera, value of taxpayers' money, I know they're quite tight on budgets sometimes, but does that again, because if you get too into it, it's a classic example of if you're developing something, let's say you've got a, a you're testing out a feature, those tests costs, um, you know, take 10 hours, right? And that 10 hour cost on a low cost server might be 20 pounds, but you can do it in two hours and it'll cost hundred pounds, right? And it makes your developer more productive. If you feel paying your developer 30 pounds an hour, 
you know that you're going to it's going to be worth it right so you've got to look at it from those other metrics also from a development standpoint is is it is it going to be faster again going back to more customer experience like i've been on certain websites where customer experience has been shocking and i've not bought anything right so for that instance it's worth investing in it because you're likely to get more of a sale out of me but if you've got quite good it's like google for example is it worth google spending 100 million pounds to improve latency by 0.001 of a second. Not really, because no one's going to notice. I'm sure there is a team at Google doing that, but it's not worth it. And that's same asking to an enterprise, whether you're booking a holiday or renewing your car insurance. Is it worth a bit more faster or can as an individual, can we you know, live with it? And then your profit margins will be bigger. So you've got to ask yourself that. I think what you're trying to say there, to summarize it, is you need to really map your products and your service value back to your cloud spend. And you should be able to understand your cloud spend by understanding how your individual teams are using the cloud. And then that can give you that almost bi-directional understanding and monitoring of, if I deploy the service, this is how much it costs me from an IT perspective. And if I wanted to add a new feature in a, like a utopian world of FinOps, this is roughly how much it's going to cost me to do that. That's the dream. Yeah, I would say look at the entire life cycle of like your spend, like how much does it cost for you to like develop it? Because you could sort of argue is if you've got a central platforming team and let's say you're working with a business unit, should you charge back the development costs? Or if you're working with external vendors or consultancies, should you charge back their costs as well? So it, it really does open that conversation. And definitely in Contino, that's how we, like that, that's one of our more unique selling points, which a lot of people in the, the market don't focus on, is we focus on, what is your internal way of chargeback, showback? How are you going to address, you know, um, do you charge back to So We can certainly help with those conversations. I think it's getting all the senior leaders in a room and talking about that as well. So, but it's also around, you know, moving on a bit, looking around those KPIs and benchmarks. Like, is your aim to, to cost optimize, to further business value, to increase? Like, you, you could actually look at FinOps for increasing spend. Bit of a hot topic. But actually, is it worth increasing your spend to improving that business value? As well, so that's one other angle to look at. FinOps, I think to me, FinOps is the wrong phrase for just saving money. To me, that is cost optimization or really cost reduction. And that's been going in any industry, not just IT for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So it's a bit of a unique way to look at it. Well, let's do it at three levels. We're going to have one organization that's new to FinOps. They might be an SME that is trying to get their products out to market as quick as they can, right? But they've got a really wise CTO and a CFO and maybe they've got a procurement person that they pay, and they're all thinking about FinOps. What's the bare minimum they should be thinking about when it comes to FinOps? And then we'll also do this exercise for a more mature organization, then we'll go to someone who's a, one of our clients who's a lot more down the path. So if I was starting off, I've been going for like six months to a year, got my first product out the door, but I'm seeing my bill increase. I'm getting a bit worried. What's, what are the first things I should be doing as an organization? I think that as a startup, there's four key areas. I think people will disagree with me on this, but I think there's four key areas you need to focus on. Visibility and monitoring. So is your cloud spend visible? Do you have a dashboard, monitoring solutions, et cetera? At that kind of stage, you know, each different vendor, depending on who you're working with, has got you know, plentiful and cheap and decent options. I would then look at accountability, is if you've got um, you know, platform team, et cetera, or an infrastructure, well, more, more of a case if you've got a platform person, infrastructure person, a couple of developers who owns that cost, who is accountable. I would then look at governance and guardrails. 
So have you got governance, et cetera, in place? Have you got the guardrails to prevent those anomalies? I would then also map um, what you're currently spending to around business value. So let's say you're a, you're a SaaS organization, right? You've got a SaaS product, you charge £150 a month. Your cloud spend to enable that to the, to the user is between 60 and 100. Let's say your average cost is 75. So you know when you're, let's say, pitching to investors that that cost of um, you know, £150, it might be £75 in cloud spends. You might have um, £50 for you know, development work, staff costs, et cetera, office costs. And then you, your profit is £25. So you, know, you, you then know your profit margin when you're speaking to an investor. So that's how I would look at it. So just to recap, if you're a startup or a small organization, or you just really need to, to fill up, there's four things you're saying we should focus on. There's uh, static reporting, which feels like it could be okay for now. Just having a snapshot once a week, once a month, just to see that trend. And invisibility yes. monitoring as well. Cool. Yeah. Um, you should also have accountability within your developers, your engineers, your, your SRE team. The third one that we're saying is... You should have guardrails and, and policies in place and potentially like alerting, but that might be a bit more advanced, I'd yeah. say. I'd say also tagging strategy as well. That's Sorry, I, I didn't mention that, but that's quite a key one. I would say tagging. Like, these are quite foundational things, which if you put in play now, hopefully as you scale up and you you, know, you increase your monthly RRR and things like that, you have these foundational policies and you can just keep going. Okay. So. And then the fourth one was value mapping. So I'd, I'd probably say that's most important but if you don't have at least some level of visibility and monitoring it's hard to do that but you should be able to articulate by saying if i deliver this product or deliver this service yeah you're just trying to map that back to the cloud and it spend in some way it might not be perfect but you should be getting to the exercise of thinking about that approach it's it's just a rough margin like as a business you're always looking at your profit and losses etc your margins i just looked at it from that i think one of the area actually for startups i'd look at is what discounts the vendors are offering yeah. a lot of people don't realize this i was on the digital natives team at microsoft where we help take startups and scale them yeah. but if you're a typical startup like aws you know azure google they have startup programs yeah. where i believe it's 100 100 uh, yeah sorry 150,000 in credits pounds in credits depending on the vendor and there's multiple different things like at microsoft you've got you know sales now for linkedin for free and, and things like that depending on your spend or your level where you at your m365 licenses i know aws have a startup program depending like particularly in defense etc so or, or healthcare um, but I'd sort of look at that as well and see if you can discount or if it's just a case of you've got an idea. A lot of organizations have, sorry, a lot of vendors have an uh, initial thousand pounds that you can just go in and get started. You're not having to spend the money yourself. So I'd, I'd look around that as well, personally. What I would say is if you're an IT stakeholder, contact your account manager for one of the big three cloud providers and they'll hook you up. There's there's <laughs> discounts to be had on on a lot of migration projects, right? And there's innovation funding, as you said. There's a lot of ways that they're trying to entice you to use their services better, which sure, long term, you know, those cloud providers will win, but it's worth exploring how they can support you in your in your cloud and FinOps journey, right? Because there are options there. Let's try something else. Okay. Let's say I'm a really well-established organization. Okay. And I think I've got FinOps down. And I think I'm doing really yeah, good at it. Yeah. Right. Um what are the top three or four things? that if I said such a, a statement, you'd be like, well, Rosh, so what are you doing then? Are you doing these three or four things? 
Okay. So first question I ask is, I would say a lot of people would disagree with me on this. Are you using a tool? Because I think a lot of people think that FinOps tools, I mean, it's the, the FinOps tooling landscape, in my opinion, is going to be the next big thing, particularly VC funding. I'm keeping track of it. There's a lot of new players to the game. There's people like Aptio and Cloud Health by VMware. You know, they're, they're sort of dominating the market. There's things like Terra, TerraCost, I believe it is, um, which is a bit, you know, a bit of an up-and-coming tool. So I think a lot of people just say, we have a tool and it solves all our problems. It doesn't. And what people don't realize is that tooling for FinOps can be very expensive. Like if you're spending 100 million a year, and let's say the FinOps tool is 2% of your annual cloud spend for 2 million, it's probably cheaper to come to us and we can help solve a lot of more of your problems for, for a lot less than that. So I think looking at that as well, I'd ask, are you using the tool? And typically the answer would be yes, it solves all our problems. I'm like, okay, what are the things we got in place? I'd also look at, what kind of people have you got in place? Do you have a FinOps team who does it? I think traditionally it's always been added on to an engineer. Are you giving that time and that time and that ability of that engineer to actually do those practices? I think the FinOps Foundation recommends a team of 13 people for a 50 million cloud spend. So, and that sort of scales up. I think it's every person for every three and a half million, et cetera. So look at it from that perspective as well. Do you do you have that team in place? I'd also look at what automation strategies you've got because if you're, let's say, established at FinOps, that sh- that should be quite a key thing that you've got in place. Yeah. Obviously, things that things would be quite manual. And then, to me, if you're doing FinOps well, you started to automate it. Yeah. So I looked at it from that perspective as well. And I'd also ask, are you looking at it from a wider perspective? How are you looking at on-prem spend as well if you're multi-cloud? Which, let's face it, majority of enterprises are. I'd also look at how you're doing chargeback and showback internally. Okay. So I think there's one key one that you've missed. I'd expect a large organization that thinks they've got FinOps down to be able to predict really well what their future forecasts are going to be. Can they do that via seasonality of their different products or services? How good are they at doing that? And if they are, yeah, well done, like smashed it. But I don't think there's a lot of companies and organizations that can do those five things that we mentioned at the moment. Yeah, I would say a few are starting with one or two or they've They've got all five, but a lower maturity level. I think one of the key points actually we both missed is around training. And that's, you know, specialized training to the team. That's executive training, um, your finance procurement, and then what I call mass training. So even if you just design like a one hour, two hour course to your developers, uh, we were speaking to a, a customer recently and they said that they've got 5,000 developers. How am I supposed to train all? Because that would take a lot of time and a lot of money, let's face it. So one thing we actually do is we've, um, we're in the process of developing a, a FinOps course, right, for engineers. Um, it's like one to two hours, covers all the basics, and they have that knowledge. So you can do that mass levels of training. And particularly with some organizations with 40, 50, 60,000 developers, that's, that's one of the way I measure it, is what level of training have you given to them? We mentioned this at the beginning, but it's worth covering again. FinOps is something that I said we're all hearing about it, especially in the last six months. We're in a difficult economy at the moment. And that could be a reason why FinOps is particularly important. We're seeing a lot of companies doing cuts, which is never good to hear. So is there any other reasons why do you think FinOps is being taken more seriously now than it probably was two, three years ago when everyone was just trying to get onto the cloud and accelerate their usage? I would say those are the two perfect examples. I think to me, they've sort of intertwined together. I think obviously the current economic climate has made those CFOs think, what can we reduce? And cloud is typically something that you can quite easily do. It's it's much easier than getting rid of people. Yeah. So 
that that sort of logical next step. I think a lot of people have been now in the cloud for five to ten years. They, they may still be on that journey, um, but they they've been used to the, the spend, etc. They've had that initial, you know, the boards have set five hundred million for spend, etc. They're now at the end of that program over ten years. They now need to focus on for, you know, forecasting and looking at future costs. Yep. And they don't have that ability. Or they may just do it incorrectly because they've not looked at right sizing, cost rate, your optimization, et cetera. So. Yeah. Can I also say something slightly controversial? You shouldn't move to the cloud just to save money because you're not always going to save money. Yep. And if anything, what it's giving you is a, is a playground to, to innovate, right? and to get your products out faster and to play with new pre-built services that didn't really get on-prem and use services that are pre-built that you can package up into application and take advantage of things and stop wasting loads of development hours and engineers trying to build something that's already there, right? And there's obviously like dual redundancy and security and all these other considerations, but the cloud isn't for saving money. I would actually slightly disagree with that. I think... For general, like compute workloads, I completely agree. Like to me, yes, you can save money partly, but it shouldn't be your main motivation driver. It should be as all the things it mentions. Yeah. I would say as a startup, it is saving you money. And I think actually what one really good example, which people often forget, is when Facebook was starting, right? The the main reason why Eduardo and Mark Zuckerberg fell out was over the initial £15,000 investment for servers. And that ended up costing Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook hundreds of millions over that server spend. Going back 20, you know, that was only 20, you know, just over 20 years ago, right? So back then, if the cloud existed, they never would have had that. And Facebook would be, you know, probably a few billion pounds you know, richer. So you, you, you've got to look at it from that perspective as well. I think as a startup, it is, it is that lowering barrier to entry and also saving money. From an enterprise standpoint, actually, I would say for more specialized HPC workloads or more like one-off examples, um, Stephen Thayer, who's you know, a really good, you know, he's you know, very well famous in the DevOps industry, really good guy. He actually helped start my career. Um, he had this really good example where he worked for, I think it was an insurance company. He was a consultant and they were doing this big migration. They only needed the server for the day and it cost a quarter of a million pounds. In reality, that probably would have cost a thousand pounds to weigh the best for the day instead of a quarter of a million. So actually in that instance, it is save. It is about saving money. So I looked at it from that standpoint as well. Although, as you know, I was saying, specialized you know, workloads like machine learning, et cetera, is probably better to do in the cloud or looking at things like managed Kubernetes services as well. Bit of a hot topic, um, but I would say they're probably a bit better than running on-prem. A lot of people disagree with me with that. But... So I don't disagree with you, like these other people, but I just do think you shouldn't move to the cloud if you just want to save money. I'm saying you can do that, but that shouldn't be your main driver. I do think it's all around innovation and accelerating and getting better use of your developer time. Just like with every single executive and CFO, you've got to add in the cost element. Like if you're looking for a business case reason to move to the cloud, one of the first things the CFO or that executive buying to release that money, you know, to deliver that program or that transformation, et cetera, you have to add in a cost element. What's it going to cost and likely how much we're we going to save or the alternative is how much more business value we'll receive or how much, you know, let's say more revenue, et cetera. But if you're just moving, let's say you've got something like Workday HR platform, right? You're running it on-prem. You've got 50,000 employees. And in reality, let's say you sort of average your, your employee base. You're not looking to scale. You establish enterprise. And you're running, let's say, 10 servers. And at the minute, they were, you know, 
half a million pounds over three years in your data center, you can move that to cloud through, you know, whether that's through a SaaS version or just, you know, direct lift and shift. That's going to cost you a quarter of a million. To me, that's just an easy saving. And the main driver for that is is costs because it's not changing anything else. Like you're not needing scale at work day. You're not, you know, you're not bothered about the, you know, for example, the user experience because it's got the same level of compute. So that in, in that instance, I would say actually cost should be your main driver. So let's say someone's listening to this talk and they're like, okay, Ethan Ross, you're speaking in some sense. I resonate with some of it, right? I want to hear more about what's going on in the FinOps community. Where should people go to learn more? So I say actually look at the FinOps Foundation. I think it's a great, there's, there's so many great resources on there and the, you know, they're very much a friendly bunch. They've been going for about three years, the part of the Linux Foundation. Um, if you're a practitioner, I definitely recommend joining the Slack channel. There's loads of options, um, you know, channels, et cetera, loads of projects. You can get involved with working group. How I got started is I helped the FinOps Foundation with working group all about advancing FinOps careers from an alien career standpoint. Um, I'm a bit of a specialist in alien careers and, you know, scaling up projects, et cetera. So I offer to lend a hand with that. There's different working groups if you're interested in taking it further and committing. There's a Slack channel where you can get involved, you know, ask questions, you know, um, help other people, you know, other practitioners solve the problems for their journeys, etc. I would say there's also things like meetups. So I'm part of the organizing committee for FinOps meetups in the UK um, with a few of the amazing folks like Mike Bradbury. And we host events, you know, every couple of months around the UK, particularly in Yorkshire um, and London. And even if you don't know anything about FinOps, the amount of people I see at those events who don't know much about it, just here to learn, ask those questions, very hands-on, interactive. I would also just have the conversation around in your organization. Like to me, I've got an interest in economics. Um, and if I wasn't in IT, I probably would have gone, you know, to, to go study economics, right? So just see if there's anybody internally, you know, put a, a loud message on Slack and say, look, anybody interested in economics, anybody interested in cloud or curbing our spending? Because no doubt there will be probably someone so I've seen that from a practitioner standpoint as well when I'm actually hands-on doing it. So just just do that. I think look at your internal communities, join external communities, um, and look at the great resources that A, vendors have got, and B, the FinOps Foundation have as well. And I'm assuming soon there'll be a yep. Contino FinOps session. Yes. There'll be some drinks, yep. some tacos, drinks. something going on. Yeah, we're, we're hoping to do a, a FinOps event here at Contino. Um, it's something which we're very keen to involve in, and support the community. So, yeah. Thank you for taking the time, Ethan, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Yeah, nice speaking to you. Thanks for listening to the Contino podcast. For more information, head to contino.io.